Good evening. It's time to get started. So just, um, did everybody get a handout? If you didn't get a handout, raise your hand. I think everybody got one coming in. But um, the copier wanted to try to act up tonight, so it's, we have it in two parts. <laughs> but it's, it is chapter 15, and then the, um, the second part has the answers stapled in the back of it. So I don't think we're going to get through with all of chapter 15 tonight, so hang on to this and bring it back next week. So Miss um, uh, Jennifer Jones is going to do our lesson tonight, so if you'll give her a hand as she comes up. Thank you for that enthusiasm. <laughs> All right. All righty. So we're talking about the mind of Christ. So, all right. <clears throat> I believe that you have now made a firm decision to choose right thoughts. So let's look at the types of thinking that would be considered right according to the Lord. There are certainly many types of thoughts that would have been considered unthinkable to Jesus when he was on the earth. If we want to follow in his footsteps, then we must begin to think as he did. 1 Corinthians 2.16 For who has known or understood the mind, the counsels and purposes of the Lord, so as to guide and instruct him and give him knowledge? But we have the mind of Christ, the Messiah, and do hold the thoughts, feelings, and purposes of his heart. Right away, you're probably thinking, that's impossible, Joyce. Jesus was perfect. I may be able to improve my thinking, but I will never be able to think as he did. Well, the Bible tells us that we have the mind of Christ in a new heart and spirit. A new heart and spirit. A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, give you a heart of, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall heed my ordinances and do them. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. As Christians, you and I have a new nature, which is actually the nature of God deposited in us at the new birth. We can see from this scripture that God knew if we were to heed his ordinances and walk in his statutes, that we would have to give us his spirit and a new heart and mind. Romans 8, 6 speaks of the mind of the flesh and tells us that death is the result of following the mind of the flesh and life is the result of following the mind of the spirit. We would make tremendous progress simply by learning how to discern life and death. If something is ministering death to you, don't do it any longer. When certain lines of thought fill, your, fill you full of death, every kind of misery, you know immediately that it is not the mind of the spirit. To illustrate, let's say I'm thinking about an injustice I suffered because of another person, and I began to get angry. I start thinking about how much I dislike that individual. If I am discerning, I will notice that I am being filled with death. I'm getting upset, tense, stressed out, and may even be experiencing physical discomfort. Headache, stomach pain, or undue fatigue may be the fruit of my wrong thinking. On the other hand, if I am thinking how blessed I am and how good God has been to me, I will also discern that I am being filled with life. It is very helpful to a believer to learn to discern life and death within himself. Jesus has made arrangements for us to be filled with life by putting his own mind in us. We can choose to follow in the mind of Christ. In the following pages of this chapter, 
is a list of things to do in order to flow in the mind of Christ. Step one, think positive thoughts. Do two walk together except they make an appointment and have agreed? Amos 3.3. 3. If a person is thinking according to the mind of Christ, what will his thoughts be like? They will be positive, that's for sure. In an earlier chapter, we have already discussed the absolute necessity of positive thinking. You may even want to go back to chapter 5 at this point and refresh your memory on the importance of being positive. I just went back and read it and got blessed myself even though I wrote it. <laughs> Enough can never be said about the power of being positive. God is positive, and if you and I want to flow with him, we must get on the same wavelength and begin to think positively. I'm not talking about exercising mind control, but simply about being an all-around positive person. Have a positive outlook and attitude. Maintain positive thoughts and expectations. Engage in positive conversation. Jesus certainly displayed a positive outlook and attitude. He endured many difficulties, including personal attacks, being lied about, being deserted by his disciples when he needed them most, being made fun of, being lonely, misunderstood, and a host of other discouraging things. Yet, in the midst of all of these negatives, he remained positive. He always had an uplifting comment, an encouraging word. He always gave hope to all those he came near. The mind of Christ in us is positive. Therefore, any time we become negative, we are not operating with the mind of Christ. Millions of people who suffer from what I call the downs in life discouragement, depression, and despair, but I do not think it is possible to be in a down mood without being negative, unless the cause is medical. Even in that case, being negative will only increase the problem and its symptoms. When a person is down in his mood, everything about him is down. His head hangs down, the corners of his mouth turn down, his eyes are droopy, his shoulders slump down, and he usually wants to sit down or lay down. According to Psalms 3.3, God is our glory and the lifter of our heads. He wants to lift everything, our hopes, our attitudes, our moods, our head, hands, and heart, our whole life. He is our divine lifter. God wants to lift us up, and the devil wants to press us down. Satan uses the negative events and situations of our life to depress us. The dictionary definition of the word depress is to lower in spirits, or sadden. According to Webster, something that is depressed is sunk below the surrounding region, hollow. Depressed means to sink, to press down, or to hold below ground level. We regularly have the opportunity to think of negative thoughts, but they will only press us down further. Being negative won't solve our problems, it will only add to them. Overcome depression. Psalms 143 3 through 10 gives us a description of depression and how to overcome it. Let's look at this passage in detail to see the steps we can take to overcome this attack of the enemy. Number one, identify the nature and cause of the problem. For the enemy has pursued and persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life down to the ground. He has made me to dwell in dark places as those who have been long dead. Psalms 143, 3. Dwelling in, a dark, in dark places as one who is long dead certainly sounds to me like a description of someone who is as down as he can be. Notice that 
The cause or source of this depression, this attack upon the soul, is Satan. Number two, recognize that depression steals life and light. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed and faints within me. Wrapped in gloom, my heart within my bosom grows numb. Psalms 143, 4. Depression oppresses a person's spiritual freedom and power. Our spirit, empowered and encouraged by God's spirit, is powerful and free. Therefore, Satan seeks to oppress its power and liberty by filling our mind with darkness and gloom. Please realize that it is vital to resist the feeling called depression immediately upon sensing its arrival. The longer it is allowed to remain, the harder it becomes to resist. Number three, remember the good times. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your doings. I ponder the work of your hands. Psalms 143, 5. In this verse, we see the psalmist's response to his condition. Remembering, meditating, and pondering are all functions of the mind. He obviously knows that his thoughts will affect his feelings. So he gets busy thinking about the kind of things that will help him overcome the attack upon his mind. Number four, praise the Lord in the midst of the problem. I spread forth my hands to you. My soul thirsts after you like a thirsty land for water. Selah, pause and calmly think of that. Psalms 143.6 The psalmist knows the importance of praise. He lifts his hands in worship. He declares what his need truly is. He needs God. Only the Lord can cause him to feel satisfied. Far, off, far too often when people get depressed, it is because they are in need of something, and they seek it in the wrong place, which only adds to their problems. In Jeremiah 2.13, the Lord said, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which cannot hold water. God alone can water a thirsty soul. Don't be deceived into thinking that anything else can satisfy you fully and completely. Chasing after the wrong thing will always leave you disappointed, and disappointment opens the door for depression. Number five, ask for God's help. Answer me speedily, O Lord, for my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I become like those who go down in the pit, the grave. Psalms 143, 7. The psalmist asks for help. He is basically saying, hurry up, God, because I'm not going to be able to hold on very much longer without you. Number six, listen to the Lord. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for on you do I lean, and in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my inner self to you. Psalms 143, 8. The psalmist knows that he needs to hear from God. He needs to be assured of God's love and kindness. He needs God's attention and direction. Number seven, pray for deliverance. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I flee to you to hide me. Psalms 143, 9. Once again, the psalmist is declaring that it is only God who can help him. Please notice that throughout this discourse, he is keeping his mind on God and not on the problem. Number eight, seek God's wisdom, knowledge, and leadership. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. 
Let your good spirit lead me into a level country and into the land of uprightness. Psalms 143.10 Perhaps the psalmist is indicating that he has gotten out of the will of God and thus opened the door for the attack on his soul. He wants to be in God's will, for he now realizes that it is the only safe place to be. Then he requests that God help him to be stable. I believe his phrase, lead me into a level country, refers to his unsettled emotions. He wants to be level, not up and down. Use your weapons. <clears throat> for the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the over for they overthrow destruction of strongholds, insomuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. 2 Corinthians 10:4 and 5. Satan uses depression and all the other downs in life to drag millions into the pit of darkness and despair. Suicide is often the result of depression. A suicidal person is usually one who has become so negative that he sees absolutely no hope for the future. Remember, negative feelings come from negative thoughts. The mind is the battlefield, the place where the battle is won or lost. Choose today to be positive casting down every negative imagination and bringing your thoughts into the obedience of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 <clears throat> Step 2. Be God-minded. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace whose mind, both its inclination and its character, is stayed on you because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. Isaiah 26.3 Jesus had a continual fellowship with his heavenly Father. It is impossible to have full fellowship with anyone without having your mind on that individual. If my husband and I are in the car together and he is talking to me, but I have my mind on something else, we are not really fellowshipping because I am not giving my full attention. Therefore, I believe we can safely say that the thoughts of a person functioning in the mind of Christ would be on God and all his mighty work. Meditate on God and his works. My whole being shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches, Psalm 63, 5 and 6, I will meditate also upon all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Psalm 77:12 I will meditate on your precepts and have respect to your ways the paths of life marked out by your law Psalms 119:15 I remember the days of old I meditate on all your doings I ponder the work of your hands Psalms 143:5 The psalmist David spoke frequently about meditating on God his goodness and his works and ways it is tremendously uplifting to think on the goodness of God and all the marvelous works of his hands. I enjoy watching television shows about nature, animals, ocean life, etc., because they depict the greatness, the awesomeness of God, his infinite creativity, and how he is upholding all things by the might of his power. 
Meditating on God and His ways and works will need to become a regular part of your thought life if you want to experience victory. One of my favorite scriptures of, in Psalm 17:15, in which the psalmist says of the Lord, I shall be fully satisfied when I awake to find myself beholding your form and having sweet communion with you. I spent a lot of unhappy days because I started thinking about all the wrong things the minute I awoke each morning. I can truly say that I am much more satisfied since the Holy Spirit has helped me operate out of the mind of Christ, the mind of the Spirit that is within me. Fellowshipping with God early in the morning is one sure way to start each day right and to begin enjoying life. Fellowship with the Lord. If I do not go away, the Comforter, Counselor, Helper, Advocate, Intercessor, Strengthener, Standby will not come to you into close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. John 16:7. These words were spoken by Jesus just before he departed into heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. It is obvious from this scripture that it is God's will that we be in close fellowship with him. Nothing is closer to us than our own thoughts. Therefore, if we will fill our mind with the Lord, it will bring him into our consciousness, and we will begin to enjoy a fellowship with him that will bring joy peace, and victory to our everyday life. He is always with us, just as he promised he would be. But we will not be conscious of his presence unless we think about him. I can be in a room with someone, and if I have my minds on lots of other things, I can leave and never know that person was there. This is the way it is with our fellowship privileges with the Lord. He is always with us, but we need to think on him and be aware of his presence. Step three, be God-loves-me-minded. And we know, understand, recognize, are conscious of, by observation and by experience, and believe, adhere to, and put faith in and rely on the love God cherishes for us. God is love, and he who dwells and continues in love dwells and continues in God, and God dwells and continues in him. 1 John four sixteen. I have learned that the same thing is true of God's love, that is true of his presence. If we never meditate on his love for us, we will not experience it. Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 that the people would experience the love of God for themselves. The Bible says that he loves us, but, <clears throat> but how many of God's children still lack a revelation concerning God's love? I remember when I began my ministry, the first week I was to conduct a meeting, I asked the Lord what he wanted me to teach, and he responded, Tell my people that I love them. They know that, I said. I want to teach them something really powerful, not a Sunday school lesson out of John 3:16. The Lord said to me, Very few of my people really know how much I love them. If they did, they would act differently. As I began to study the subject of receiving God's love, I realized that I was in desperate need myself. The Lord led me in my study to 1 John 4:16, which states that we should be conscious of God's love. That means it should be something we are actively aware of. I had an unconscious, vague sort of understanding that God loved me, but the love of God is meant to be a powerful force in our lives. 
one that will take us through even the most difficult trials into victory. In Romans 8.35, the Apostle Paul exhorts us, Who shall ever separate us from Christ's love? Shall suffering and affliction and tribulation or calamity and distress or persecution or hunger or destitution or peril or sword? Then in verse 37, he goes on to say, Yet amid all these things, we are more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us. I studied in this area for a long time, and I became conscious and aware of God's love for me through thinking about his love and by confessing it out loud. I learned scriptures about the love of God, and I meditated on them and confessed them out of my mouth. I did this over and over for months, and all the time, the revelation of his unconditional love for me was becoming more and more of a reality to me. Now, his love is so real to me that even in hard times, I am comforted by the conscious knowing that he loves me and that I no longer have to live in fear. Fear not. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. 1 John 4.18 God loves us perfectly, just as we are. Romans 5.8 tells us that God commandeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Believers operating out of the mind of Christ are not going to think about how terrible they are. They will have righteous-based thoughts. You should have a righteousness consciousness, meditating regularly on who you are in Christ. We don't have right standing with God because we do everything right, but because he gives us right standing as a gift of his grace. When received by faith, the gift of righteousness will will begin to produce more and more right behavior. Be righteous conscious, not sin conscious. For our sake, he made Christ virtually to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in and through him, we might become endued with, viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God, what we ought to be approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him by his goodness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 A large number of believers are tormented by negative thinking about themselves. Thoughts about how God must be so displeased with them because all of their weaknesses and failures. How much time do you waste living under guilt and condemnation? Notice I said, how much time do you waste? Because that is exactly what all that kind of thinking is, a waste of time. Don't think about how terrible you were before you came to Christ. Instead, think about how you have been made the righteousness of God in him. Remember, thoughts turn into actions. If you ever want to behave any better, you have to change your thinking first. Keep thinking about how terrible you are, and you will only act worse. Every time a negative, condemning thought comes to your mind, remind yourself that God loves you, that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. You are changing for the better all the time. Every day you're growing spiritually. God has a glorious plan for your life. These are the truths you must think on. That is what you are supposed to be doing with your mind. Think deliberately according to the word of God. Don't just think whatever falls into your head, receiving it as your own thought. Rebuke the devil and start going forward by thinking right thoughts. Step four, have an exhortive mind. He who exhorts encourages to his exhortation, Romans 12, 8. 
The person with the mind of Christ thinks positive, uplifting, edifying thoughts about other people as well as about himself and his own circumstances. The ministry of exhortation is greatly needed in the world today. You will never exhort anyone with your words if you have not first had kind thoughts about that individual. Remember that whatever is in your heart will come out of your mouth. Do some love thinking on purpose. Send thoughts of love toward other people. Speak words of encouragement to them. Vine's expository dictionary of Old and New Testament words defines the Greek word. Y'all going to have to help me out with that one. Is that parakaleo? Y'all know that word? I'm not a Greek scholar. <laughs> Whatever it is. <clears throat> Which is translated exhort as primarily to call to a person. Para to the side. And kaleo, I guess. To call. To admonish. Exhort. To urge on. To pursue some course of conduct. I interpret this definition to mean coming alongside a person and urging him to press forward in pursuing a course of action. The ministry gift of exhortation speaking, spoken of in Romans 12:8 can readily be seen in those who have it. They are always saying something encouraging or uplifting to everyone, something that makes others feel better and encourages them to press on. If Miss Pam was here tonight, I would say she was the example of that, <laughs> but she's not here, so <laughs> that's who this passage reminds me of. <clears throat> We may not all have the ministry gift of exhortation, but anyone can learn to be encouraging. The simple rule is, if it's not good, then don't think it or say it. Everyone has enough problems already. We don't need to add to their troubles by tearing them down. We should build up one another in love. Don't forget, love always believes the best of everyone. As you begin to think lovely thoughts about people, you will find them behaving in a more lovely manner. Thoughts and words are containers or weapons for carrying creative or destructive power. They can be used against Satan and his works, or they can actually help him in his plan of destruction. Let's say you have a child who has some behavior problems and definitely needs to change. You pray for him and ask God to work in his life, making whatever changes are necessary. Now, what do you do with your thoughts and words concerning him during the wedding period? Many people never see the answer to their prayers because they negate what they have asked for with their own thoughts and words before God ever gets a chance to work in their behalf. Do you pray for the child to change and then entertain all kinds of negative thoughts about him? Or perhaps pray for change and then think and even say to others, this kid will never change. To live in victory, you must begin by lining up your thoughts with God's Word. We are not walking in the Word if our thoughts are opposite of what it says. We are not walking in the Word if we are not thinking in the Word. When you pray for someone, line up your thoughts and words with what you have prayed and you will begin to see a breakthrough. I am not suggesting that you get out of balance and refuse to acknowledge that a problem exists. If your child has a, pro a behavior problem in school and a friend asks how he is doing, what, you sh <clears throat> what, you, what should you do if in reality no change has been manifested? You can say, well, we have not seen the breakthrough yet, but I believe God is working and we will see change soon. Step five, develop a thankful mind. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and a thank offering and into his courts with praise. 
be thankful and say to him, bless and affectionately praise his name. Psalms 104. A person flowing in the mind of Christ will find his thoughts filled with praise and thanksgiving. Many doors are open to the enemy through complaining. Some people are physically ill and, leave, and live weak, powerless lives due to this disease called complaining that attacks the thoughts and conversations of people. A powerful life cannot be lived without thanksgiving. The Bible instructs us over and over in the principle of thanksgiving. Complaining in thought, of, in thought or word is a death principle, but being thankful and saying so is a life principle. If a person does not have a thankful heart or mind, thanksgiving will not come out of his mouth. When we are thankful, we will say so. Be thankful at all times. Through him, therefore, let us constantly and at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. Hebrews 13:15. When do we offer thanksgiving? At all times, in every situation, in all things, and by so doing, we enter into the victorious life where the devil cannot control us. How can he control us if we are going to be joyful and thankful no matter what our circumstances are? Admittedly, this kind of lifestyle sometimes requires a sacrifice of praise or thanksgiving, but I would rather sacrifice my thanksgiving to God than sacrifice my joy to Satan. I have learned the hard way that if I get grumpy and refuse to give thanks, then I will end up giving up my joy. In other words, I will lose it to the spirit of complaining. In Psalms 34.1, the psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. How can we, how can we be a blessing to the Lord? By letting his praise continually be in our thoughts and mouths. Be a grateful person one filled with gratitude, not only toward God, but also toward people. When someone does something nice for you, let, let them know that you appreciate it. Show appreciation in your family among the various members. So often we take for granted the things that God has blessed us with. A sure way to lose something is to not appreciate it. I appreciate my husband. We have been married a long time, but I still tell him that I appreciate him. He is a very patient man in many ways and has a lot of other really good qualities. I know that it helps build and maintain good relationships to let people know that we appreciate them, even mentioning certain things specifically that we are thankful for. I deal with many people and it continues to amaze me how some people are so thankful for every little thing that is done for them while others are never satisfied no matter how much is done on their behalf. I believe pride has something to do with this problem. Some people are so full of themselves that no matter what others do for them, they think they deserve not only that, but more. They seldom express appreciation. Expressing appreciation is not only good for the other person, but it is good for us because it releases joy in us. Meditate daily on all the things you have to be thankful for. Rehearse them to the Lord in prayer, and as you do, you'll find your heart filling up with life and light. Offer thanks always for everything. And do not get drunk with wine, but that is, I'm not sure what that is, debauchery, I guess. But ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit.
speak out to one another. The King James Version says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, offering praises, praise with voices and instruments, and making melody with all your heart to the Lord. At all times and for everything, giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Ephesians 5:18 through 20. What a powerful group of scriptures. How can you and I stay ever filled with the Holy Spirit? By speaking to ourselves through our thoughts or to others through our words in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I don't think that means we have to merely quote scripture and sing songs to one another. But it infers that we should keep our thoughts and words on and full of the word of God by offering praise at all times and for everything giving thanks. Step six, be word-minded. And you have not and you have not his word, his thought, living in your hearts, because you do not believe and adhere to and trust in and rely on him who has in him who he has sent. That is why you do not keep his message living in you, because you do not believe in the messenger whom he has sent. John five thirty eight. God's word is his thoughts written down on paper for our study and consideration. His word is how he thinks about every situation and subject. In John five thirty eight, Jesus was chastising some unbelievers. We see from his translation that God's word is written is a written expression of his thoughts and that people who want to believe and experience all the good results of believing must allow his word to be a living message in their hearts. This is accomplished by meditating on the word of God. This is how his thoughts can become our thoughts, the only way to develop the mind of Christ in us. In the Bible, the Bible in John 1.14 says that Jesus was the word made flesh. That would not have been possible had his mind not been filled with the word of God continually. Meditating on the word of God is one of the most important life principles that we can learn. Vine's Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words defines the two great words translated meditate as follows to care for to attend to practice to be diligent in to practice in the prevalent sense of the word to ponder imagine to premeditate another resource adds to murmur or to mutter to the definition I can't emphasize strongly enough how important this principle is I call it a life principle because meditating on the Word of God will minister life to you and ultimately to those around you. Many Christians have become fearful of the word meditate due to the meditation practices of pagan and occult religions. But I urge you to remember that Satan has really never had an original idea. It takes what belongs, he takes what belongs to the kingdom of light and perverts it for the kingdom of darkness. We must be wise enough to realize that if meditation produces such power for the side of evil, that it will also produce power for the cause of good. The principle of meditation comes straight out of the Word of God. Let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about it. Meditate and prosper. The book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall deal wisely and have good success. Joshua 1.8 In this verse, the Lord is telling us plainly that we will never put the word into practice physically if we don't first practice it mentally.
Psalms 1, 2, and 3 speaks of the godly man and says, But his delight and desire are in the law of the Lord. And on his law, the precepts and instructions, the teachings of God, he habitually meditates, ponders, and studies by day and by night. And he shall be like a tree, firmly planted and tended by the streams of water, ready to bring forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not fade or wither, and everything he does shall, pros shall prosper and come to maturity. Meditate and be healed. My son, attend to my words. Consent and submit to my sayings. Let them not depart from your sight. Keep them in the center of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, healing and health to all their flesh. Proverbs 4, 20-22 Remembering that the one of the defining words for meditate is to attend to. Consider this passage of scripture which says that the words of the Lord are a source of health and healing to the flesh. Meditating, pondering, thinking about the Word of God in our mind will actually affect our physical body. My appearance has been changed during the years I've been in a relationship with Jesus. I look better because I am not worried, sad, and miserable. Misery shows on our faces, but so does joy. The happier we are, the younger we look. So even though I am aging in years, inwardly I am being renewed day by day, and it shows on the outside. Hear and harvest. And he said to them, Be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you, and more besides will be given to you who hear. Mark 4.24 This is like the principle of sowing and reaping. The more we sow, the more we will reap at harvest time. The Lord is saying in Mark 4.24 that the greater the amount of time you and I personally put into thinking about and studying the word we hear, the more we will get out of it. Read and reap. Things are hidden temporarily only as a means to revelation. For there is nothing hidden except to be revealed, nor is anything temporarily kept secret except in order that it may be known. Mark 4.22 these two verses together are surely telling us that the Word has hidden in it tremendous treasures, powerful, life-giving secrets that God wants to reveal to us. They are manifested through those who meditate on, ponder, study, think about, practice mentally, and mutter the Word of God. I know personally, as a teacher of God's Word, the truth of this principle. It seems there is no end to what God can show me out of one verse of scripture. I will study it one time and get one thing, and another time see something new that I did not even notice before. The Lord keeps revealing his secrets to those who are diligent about the word. Don't be the kind of person who always wants to live off of someone else's revelation. Study the word yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to bless your life with truth. I can go on and on about the subject of meditating on God's word. As I have said, it is one of the most important things that you and I can learn to do. All day, all day long, as you go about your daily affairs, ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of certain scriptures so you can meditate on them. You will be amazed at how much power will, will be released into your life in this practice. The more you meditate on the Word of God, the more you will be able to readily draw upon its strength in times of trouble. Remember, the power to do the word comes from the practice of meditating on it.